the call to revival, to repentance. Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 12, which is the first four trumpets. First four trumpet blasts from four of the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. To note, there is no specificity here regarding what these trumpets are made of, material-wise. For the Jews, they used a ram's horn, which our hollow ram's horn, which they called a shafar. Uh, They would use that for their ceremonies and festivals and so forth. But there is no presentation here as to whether this was a ram's horn or made of metal or some other material. All we know is that these are angels who are blasting a warning to this world regarding what is coming. The ram's horn or shofar was the instrument of choice for the Jews and uh, one rabbi, Moshe ben Maimon, said, although it is a divine decree that we blow the shofar at Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, uh, there is a hint of the following idea come contained in the command, as if to say, Awake from your slumber, you who have fallen asleep. Awake from your slumber, you who have fallen asleep in life, and reflect on your deeds. Remember your Creator. Remember your Creator. That's hard to do sometimes. When you children are out on your own or young adults, do you remember your parents' teaching? Especially if you're in a precarious situation. Do you remember it? Do you heed it or is it out the window? I don't really want to be back home by 10.30 or 11 o'clock, so I'll, ch- I'll make my own choice. I'll do what's right in my own eyes. I'm not going to heed the counsel of my parents. Sometimes it's hard to remember what is good and what is right. It is hard to remember the counsel of the Lord and what he desires for you. A trumpet blast. If, if we were sitting in here and all of a sudden it turned black outside and you heard the siren going off in the town, we would snap to action in a moment, wouldn't we? Because we know that that siren, being the ominous tone that it is, is presenting to us the idea that there's something coming that is dangerous. Most likely a tornado or something like that. And we would snap to action, probably calling off the service and encouraging everybody to either go home. If it was too close, we'd have everybody go down to the basement to take cover. When the siren sounds, when the trumpet is blast, there is a reason there to heed its warning because something is coming that is dangerous and we need to be prepared for it. So when we listen to this rabbi, the call to remember your creator, it sounds apropos to what John is saying here in Revelation 7. Angels prepare to blow their trumpets to awaken those who are on earth as to who is sovereign as Lord and God and our Creator. Let's look now at God's Word. Revelation 8, 
verses 7 through 12. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I ask now that you would instruct our minds and our hearts. Help us not simply to hear your word, but to receive it in faith and to live by its power, for your word is living. Speak through me as your servant, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps you've been to one of these types of football games. The home team hasn't won a game in the last two years. They look like a junior high football squad regarding their size. And the visiting team that comes up to the field and gets off the bus looks like a college team or maybe even a semi-pro team. The linemen are huge and massive. Their running backs are, are impressive, fast and swift and powerful. Their quarterback is precise and can, can thread, a, thread a dime, thread a football almost through a dime. They're just really good, and they're top-ranked in the state. And everybody knows what's going to happen before it even happens. <laughs> Yet the game has to be played. It has to be carried out. The coach on the home team gives his team that inspiring speech that if you fight hard, if we run our plays like we ought to, we can win this game. The players are looking at the other side, at the other team, and thinking, there's no way, coach. We've already lost before we've even stepped foot on the field. But they are determined to fight because they are going to defend their home stand. And so the official comes out, he blows his whistle, and play commences. And as predicted, the visiting team scores at will. One touchdown after another. And the home team, try as hard as they might, cannot even advance the ball and are relegated to punting every time. At the end of the first quarter, it's 28-0. to zero. And the funny thing is, is that the visiting team is just playing with them and not even working that hard. The second quarter comes around. The official blows his whistle again. They know, the home team knows it's going to be more of the same, but they come out fighting anyway, trying to make whatever effort they can to be positive. 
and, and to maybe at least gain some ground, but they cannot gain any ground and are again relegated to punting. Uh, it's 14 to 0, or there's another 14 points that are scored, so that uh, it's 42 to 0. And the visiting team decides to put in the second team, hoping that it will be a little more balanced. But instead, the second team that wants to show and prove to the first team that they are no slouches either. And so they score another 14 points in the end of that quarter. Halftime comes, and, the, and uh, the home team is thankful for the break. <laughs> the coach continues to try and encourage and inspire his, his players, but they are totally outmatched in every way. The official blows his whistle again. The third quarter begins. The second team for the visiting team is in. They score another 14 points, and the home team scores nothing. Finally, the, the, the visiting coach clears his bench, brings in the end of the bench players, thinking that maybe this would be more balanced, but they want to fight hard and show that, they're, that they have uh, ability to to their coach and they score another touchdown in the fourth quarter. So the final score, after it's all said and done, is 70 to 0. 70 to 0. Guess who the home team is in the real world? It's us. It's us. We like to think that we have the strength and knowledge and skill to win the game but we're not going to win against God. We're not going to win against God. Oh, we can compete against each other, but not against God. The image of this football game is one team continually pouring it on against another team, and the other team can't do anything to stop them. They simply don't have the ability to win this game. This was the mentality of Noah's day. And I'm using this judgment to preface the judgment in Revelation. In Noah's day, no one feared God. Everyone at least except for Noah and his family. They thought they could handle anything this so-called God could throw at them. They were carrying on events as normal. Eating and drinking and giving in marriage even though Noah was in his backyard building this massive boat as a testimony of God's judgment that was to come. They didn't care. They thought he was a kook. He was a fool for doing this thing. They did not see God's judgment as something to be taken seriously. But when God's judgment was poured out, and the onslaught began. There was no hope for mankind. Of course, people likely thought that they could beat it. They thought at first that they could win. We just need to go to higher ground. We can weather this storm. We just need to climb to higher ground. So they climbed to higher ground. And the water continued to follow continued to pursue them. And they climbed a higher ground still. And the water continued to pursue. They finally climbed to the tops of mountains and what pursued them still? 
the waters of God's judgment until every last one of them was overtaken. They lost. God's judgment is what Martin Luther is speaking to in the second verse of his song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It goes, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, make it holy. From age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. Who is going to win the victory for you and I? It's not us. It is God Himself through the offering of His Son, Jesus Christ. If our salvation, winning the battle, depends on us, He says says it plainly, our striving would be losing. No matter how good or equipped we think we are, no matter how righteous we are, no matter how much zeal we have, our striving would be loss. But Jesus not only defeated the devil, who is one of our competitors, he defeated the power of sin and death for us. And that is the means through which God's judgment is poured out upon us. Because of our sin, we stand condemned before God. As we are condemned before God, we are deserving of God's judgment. Jesus took that all away. He won the victory for us, which means that He has granted us life to replace the death that we are owed. He did this by becoming sin for us, taking upon Himself our sin and putting it to death in His death on the cross. Jesus bore our penalty, undergoing the judgment of God the Father so that we might know the blessing of God through the grace of Christ Jesus Himself. In this same hymn, Martin Luther writes, The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. The devil is a horrible, terrible, evil, and unrelenting creature. But he is a creature nonetheless. And his hostile advances we can rebuff if Christ is on our side. Because he has already won the victory for us through his death on the cross. Beloved, what is the message of Revelation? Jesus Christ wins. Christ Jesus wins. That's the message. When he said it is finished, On the cross, he was pronouncing victory. That what he needed to accomplish, he did. He had won the victory for us. When it comes through revelation, through this whole book, at the very end, we understand that there is a king riding on a white stallion. Not on a donkey. Not coming humbly, but in his glory. And as he rides in, he places all enemies under his feet. The last one to be death. But all enemies are placed under his feet. He wins. And we are victorious with him if we are united to Christ through faith in him. 
The call here is to awaken. Regarding God's judgment, commentator Robert Mounts helps us understand what is going on here in Revelation 8. This is just the particulars. He says, in, he starts with verse 6. He says, verse 6 returns to the action of verse 2 and leads on to the seven trumpet plagues that follow. These plagues neither recapitulate or uh, each of the seal judgments, nor do they follow the seals in a strictly chronological sense. They do cover the same period of final travail, but from a different perspective. The sixth seal found people fe- uh, fleeing to the mountains and calling for the sanctuary, calling for sanctuary against the wrath of the Lamb. The tribulation of this period is now portrayed in a more advanced fashion. While the first four seals depicted judgments that are the inevitable consequences of human sinfulness, the trumpets reveal the active involvement of God in bringing punishment upon a wicked world. The trumpet plagues are directed against a world adamant in its hostility towards God. As the intensity of the judgment increases, so also does the vehemence with which people refuse to repent. But the trumpet judgments are not final. They affect a significant proportion, but not all the earth. Their purpose is not so much retribution as it is to lead people to repentance. Awake, you who slumber. Know who is God, for he is also your Savior. So here in Revelation 8, these first four trumpet blasts signal plagues similar to what God sent upon Egypt. And here these plagues strike the four major areas of creation, the land, uh, bodies of both fresh and salt water, and also the sky. And so God's judgments touch all of the earth, all of creation. Yet we need to see the symbolic nature of what John is presenting here as the trumpets sound. In verse 7, you look in your Bibles, it says, The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. Where does this imagery come from in the Old Testament? If you have your Bibles open, turn to Exodus 9. Exodus 9, looking at verses 22 through 26. Exodus 9, 22 through 26. The Lord says to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt, on men and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both men and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not, did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. You farmers know how destructive hail can be. You're thankful for insurance if hail passes through and takes part of your crop. 
because your crop will not recover. It's just destroyed. And that's what we see here is God's judgment bringing destruction through the means of, of natural, through natural means. Verse 7, hail and fire, fire correlates to God. This is Revelation 8, verse 7. Hail and fire correlates to God, destroying the livelihood of the worldly through nature. The blood color mixed in presents the red color of the storm. And that usually from a meteorological perspective means that there's a lot of water concentrated there. So there's a lot of fuel for that hail to form and to fall upon the earth. It is a terrible storm. But it is not full-blown as it is, it is ascribed to only one-third of the earth. Again, it is a warning of the greater judgment that is to come and a clarion call to repentance. Verses 8 and 9 in Revelation 8. The second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. At first thought here, uh, you would be inclined to imagine a great meteor slamming into the ocean. Uh, perhaps one even contaminating the water, turning it to blood. But this is symbolic here. And its symbolic nature uh, suggests that something like a huge mountain refers to a kingdom. A kingdom. Hence, this is God's judgment of an evil kingdom. The implication is that it is cast down through warfare of some kind. A mountain presents the image of exaltation. A light or a city on a hill is one that is established. When you think about cities that were impenetrable, they were cities that were built on a mountain or on a hill. The only way to take them was through siege warfare. But this mountain is being cast down into the sea, and that is the image of being thrown into chaos and tribulation. This trumpet blast is again a warning to people to come that judgment is coming and a call to repentance. Verses 10 and 11. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Here a great star, burning like a torch, falls upon a third of freshwater bodies uh, in this world. This star has a name. It is called Wormwood. Uh, wormwood is a name uh, presenting the idea of bitterness, uh, even death. The idea that this star has a name may indicate that a judgment is being afflicted by some national leader. Consider what is going on today. We don't hear it in the news as much as we have, but we know that Putin and the Russian army is, is advancing, or at least trying to advance, against Ukraine as a nation. You think about what takes place in that kind of warfare as missiles are being dropped, as bombs are being dropped, as artillery shells are being lobbed over towards uh, the Ukrainians and back and forth, fire from the sky bringing destruction upon the land. 
And one, one effort that the Russians are trying to do is to inhibit the Ukrainians from, from moving their grain, exporting their grain to other nations. And the threat is, is if, if they are not allowed to do this, it's not only going to drive prices up on the global market as this grain is needed to feed the nations, it's also going to maybe cause famine in certain areas of the world. Maybe a third of it, who knows. But the issue is that that is a tactic that is accomplished in warfare, in warfare especially siege warfare, is to, is to take the water supply of the people you're trying to overtake and poison it. So that if they drink from it, they die. And you have to have water to live. And so there's this image spiritually of the water of life of poisoning the water of life, the Word of God. And as we poison the Word of God in a spiritual sense, it brings forth destruction to God's people, to the church. Not to the invisible church, those who are sealed by the Spirit, but to the visible church that the world sees. Pastor John Lowe states he believes that in Revelation 13 uh, lends support to the view that this fallen star called Wormwood is Satan himself. Stars often represent angelic beings in the Bible and here this, this star falls from the sky on a third of the rivers and springs of water. Fresh water again is a source of life for us. If you contaminate the water supply, how do you continue living? False prophets and teachers contaminate the proclamation of the Word of God. What is the result? Turning people away from God towards idolatry. God's response is to bring about the bitterness of suffering to us in order to awaken us from our slumber. Hence, the parallel to verse 8 indicates that this star should be identified as an angelic representative of an evil kingdom who is undergoing judgment, hence falling from the sky to the earth. Pastor Lowe continues, Satan's fall to the earth results in the immediate poisoning of human life and society. The peoples of the earth take on the character of the evil one and become wormwood. Satan is bitter because he has been cast out of heaven. Hence, those not sealed by the Spirit become bitter, especially towards God, but even towards one another as many people die in the process. The trumpet blast again is a warning to all regarding what is coming and that is the judgment of God and it is the call to repent. In verse 12, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. If you look at this verse and this judgment, the emphasis is on darkness. And darkness throughout Scripture is particularly related to us as deception. Deception. The emphasis here, when you think about the darkness, a third of the light of, of the night was removed. And you think, well, it's dark out at night. No, you got them. The reflection of the sun's light on the moon, if it's showing, you have the starlight uh, in the night sky. 
So there can be a damage to that as well. The, the issue here, the issue here is that this deception is, is spreading. It has its impact. And the, the stars and the moon and the sun, as, as we look at that physically, symbolically, it usually represents people in, in positions of leadership, even spiritual leadership. You ask me, how do I come up with this? Look in your Bibles at Genesis 37, verse 9. Genesis 37, verse 9. This is Joseph's dream, Joseph the son of Jacob regarding sun, moon, and stars, which can represent, again, persons of authority. In Genesis 37, verse 9, Joseph has a dream. And his dream was that the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to him. You know who these celestial bodies refer to. They refer to his dad as the sun, his mother as the moon, And the stars represent his brothers. So he's talking about his family bowing down to him. Those who are elect of God, those who are God's people, are bowing down to him. So again, this is a picture of how this deception is going to impact and affect the visible church, religious leaders, people who you thought were solid, who were godly people, who have gone astray and who have led people away from the Lord because of their debauchery, because of their sin, because of their deceptive ways. I'm not going to give you examples of that. I think you know examples that I'm speaking of even in our day. But we see this as a call to turn again to God, to repent, to turn away from this. If we are following after false teaching, if we are following after false teachers, it is, a, it is the call to wake up and see what they are actually teaching, what they are proclaiming, what they are living. And if it is not of God, if, it is, if they are not following Christ, if they are not representing Christ Jesus, if they are not preaching His gospel, to turn away from them unto God and follow Him. It is a warning of the judgment that is to come. And again, a call to repentance. The blast of the trumpets calls us to awaken, be alert, be watchful. Do not be lulled to sleep by the secular songs of self-preservation and glorification through idolatrous practices. The glory belongs to God. All glory belongs to God. And He has given His Son as a sacrifice for your sin that you might be preserved through His atoning blood. You and I cannot prevail against God's judgment. That is why God sent His Son into this world so that He could win the victory for us. I close with the words of the of the hymn writer who says, O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me as the founder of my faith and bought me, purchased my salvation, sanctifying me, perfecting my faith with His redeeming blood. 
He loved me ere I knew Him. I understand that. He loved me before I knew Him. All I've known since I've become His is His love. And all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. The judgment is coming. The trumpet blasts are there. But our assurance and our hope is in Jesus Christ who sought us and saved us and plunged us not under the judgment of God but to victory beneath His cleansing blood. Amen.